Good morning, everyone. I'm here today with Patricia Baumer, the Director of Government Affairs at the Greater Boston Real Estate Board. Trish and I go way back as I've served on the um, Government Affairs Board, too, in the past. I have been not as great since then, but I'll get jumping back in soon because there's a lot of important things going on. But I wanted to just let you introduce yourself before we get started today. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and, and happy to be here. Uh, don't have this opportunity very often to get out and talk to the members and appreciate this new medium that you have here. I think it's pretty exciting. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm the Director of Government Affairs for the Greater Boston Real Estate Board. I've been there for a number of years. Uh, prior to my time uh, working at the Greater Boston Real Estate Board, I actually worked uh, in a slightly different role, uh, but still doing lobbying for the uh, Massachusetts Association of Realtors uh, when they were back in their Canton office. So um, it was important to our CEO to recruit somebody that came from the realtor world to have a little bit of a base of understanding and have been there ever since. That's so, awesome. Yeah. This is really exciting for me. I think you know my history. I have a political science, I was a political science major in college. I always thought I would go politics, lobbying, that direction. And I tried. Um, I quickly got sucked into the family business orbit, but someday. But for me, I kind of have seen not nearly as much as you, but both sides. And that's why I'm really excited to have you here today, because I think the topics are so important and I can sort of like nerd out on this stuff because it's something that I understand or am interested in. So when these things come up, I read really far into them. I want to understand them. That's not the case with everyone right. because A, the, the interest might time. not be there and the time, right? Even recently, I'm like, I can't even like, so what I'm hoping that we can do because we've become close over the years and I know you're just a, you have so much knowledge and what we've done with this podcast is everything is sort of like short and sweet. So if you're listening right now, we're 15 or 20 minutes. I hope that Trish comes back and that we can take deeper dives. But today, what we really wanted to do was give everyone that opportunity to hear in a way that's hopefully good for them. You can plug it in when you're driving or whatever it is, because all this is so important. So I think what we really want to cover today is, as you mentioned, it's the beginning of a two-year cycle right before we got started. And we just want everyone to understand sort of what's in the queue, what's out there right now, and high level, like what can you start to do about it now, or what can you start to think about doing? So what lessons or what do you have for us like in terms of getting in touch with your legislator? Like how do we, I think some people don't even know where to start. Well, the first thing I would say is just don't be intimidated. Yep. Legislators are people too, and similar to you, you have to kind of remember that they, in many ways, um, they have a small business too, right? So when they they have a campaign office that they have to set up, there's some parallels to a small real estate office, right? Because they basically are a startup company. If you think about it, an elected official gets sworn into office and they have to hire staff and they have to pay their staff and they have to sort of attend orientation. The number one thing I would say is just remember that, you know, legislators are people too and don't be intimidated because they want to hear from you. They want to hear uh, what's important to your business. And I always remind our members that you have expertise that nobody else has in that industry. So just, you know, when you're talking to a legislator, just remember that, you know, they may have a committee assignment that has nothing to do with housing. They may be on the housing committee, but they also might have a committee assignment that's, you know, transportation or healthcare or education. So you have to remember that when you talk to them, keep in mind that their, their level of knowledge might be significant or they may have never bought a house before. They don't understand what it is that you do professionally. So I think members just have to remember that you have expertise uh, to share with that elected official that you you never even thought that you had. Sure. Yeah, no, it's so true, the intimidation factor. I think of us, I'm, you know, for all intents and purposes, in a similar role where it's like, 
head of a business, but that is all this businesses within it. And sometimes I think people get so nervous to reach out. And a lot of times they feel like you might not agree with them or you're not going to listen. Or it's almost like people are worked up before they reach out when oftentimes, like when there's really specific things to certain communities within our business, we have 27 offices. I'm really interested to hear, like you're saying, I just don't have the knowledge. I might just want to hear about it. And that might be something that I'm like, I would love to do that. Don't hesitate. And I don't think most of our people as they yeah. call me, but I think that that's important. Like, <laughs> right. because that's what you're looking at with the legislator. You just said it. Their plate's full. There's a lot going on. And you might get yourself so worked up at home with nobody understands, you know, that this isn't, and your legislator might want to understand, or they might even already understand and, and agree with you. Um, and even if they agree, we still have to make the phone call. Like they have to hear from you. Yeah, um, and that's there's the just people too, and they, you know, they have, like I said, they're busy, you know, similar to realtors, you have a dozen meetings in a day, you know, they may be aware of your issue or they may just, it's the first time that they've heard about it. Right. So what happens when a legislator or governor starts getting these calls? Can you kind of walk us through that? What might those next steps be? Well, I can't say it enough that there's hearing directly from constituents is increasingly important. You know, certainly, you know, everything has gotten more difficult, you know, probably in the, for individual realtors in, since the pandemic. And I think for legislators, too, like I think it's harder for them to get out and about and talk to people. But every legislator has typically will have office hours. So you can certainly call and make an appointment with them at the state house. But if you were in a suburban district and you just want to get to know them, they will typically sometimes do coffee in the park or they'll have district office hours. So you can just uh, call their office and say, hey, you know, I'm a constituent. I live in the district. I just want to get to know my senator and my state rep. Are they going to be doing any coffee hours or are they going to have office hours locally? I know that when I uh, worked at the state house with my boss, he would typically have office hours a couple times a month and he would put it, you know, back then it was in the local paper. I'm sure they have Facebook pages now or social media right. where they post it. And that is their opportunity to sit down in the community. You know, we would reserve time at the local fire station or the library. And that's really just their opportunity to make sure that they're reconnecting and hearing from the people that that vote for them. Right. Which is important. What's something that some a constituent should never do? Never lie about something. If you're asked a question and you don't know the answer to it, don't guess. Just say, I'm happy to circle back with you on that. Let me research that a little bit. Be as honest as you can. You don't have to be an expert on every piece of legislation. Just treat it like a business deal, right? right. Be polite and considerate and understand that they also have staff and it's not the staff sometimes because the legislator is running around in 15 different directions, particularly if they sit on that committee that you're interested. The staff is often often paying attention to all those details. So my suggestion would be obviously don't guess on something, don't lie about something, but don't dismiss the staff either. Mm. You know, they often have really good staff that works for them. So if that legislator is not available to meet with you, you know, say, okay, well, is your legislative director available? Is yeah. Or somebody that I can meet with and just understand that they have a lot of demands on their time. I know it's funny. I learned that in DC. I'm always very like good staff. I want to get to know the staff. If I'm yeah. going to a fundraiser, like those are the people because because they're going to make things happen if you need yeah. them. And they're so smart and they're really driving that bus. Yeah. Um, it's a good way to sort of get your foot in the door. If, if yeah. that person's not available, you know, just have a nice rapport with that person and and just, you know, treat it like a client. Just be polite and you don't have to agree and you can agree to disagree. And hopefully you have, you find areas to agree on. And I think not being intimidated kind of goes hand in hand with like, don't get caught off guard and then say something you don't know is true. Right. And I know I'm going to be lying because when you're intimidated and you think I'm talking to someone really important, I need to make sure that I know, know everything. everything you don't. No. 
They no. don't. You don't. Nobody does. That's right. Just have the conversation. Yep. Um, and that's such a good point because you will. That's not going to help your cause. Yeah. Um, that's going to come back to you. This kind of is all in what we're saying, but m- kind of leaning more over to the press because I think that that's impacting everything right now. You talk about the wall of sound around the state house. Can you explain to us what that is <laughs> and like just the impact of it? So I will give all due credit to our outside consultant, Dave Garino. That's sort of his catchphrase, wall of sound. But David makes the point to us all the time that it's, you know, legislators need to hear it completely and every source around them, whether it's social media, the Boston Globe, Mass Inc., State House News Service. There are so many things coming at them and so many issues coming at them right now that it's important that we as an industry speak up and have our point of view told to the press so that when they're driving home in their in their car and they're listening to the radio, they're hearing it in the radio. And when they're seeing it on social media, they're seeing it on social media. So I would say that Wallace Sound uh, that David talks about so often is become increasingly important because legislators, there's a lot of noise out there. So it's important that they get both sides of the story in terms of understanding the impact to certain policies that are being proposed. So we try to make a conscious effort to make sure that both sides of the story are told. And the press is busy too, right? Like they're, they've mm-hmm. got deadlines, they're running around and just being mindful of the fact that they've got, if you think about newspapers and the, and the cuts in newspapers and local communities, they have more demands on their time and, and fewer opportunities to interact with people. So we try to kind of elevate that conversation by making sure that we as an association are representing the the points of view of our members. I love that. Yeah. And being so, because it is so noisy, being so concise, like what we're trying to do yep. here. I think it's so important. And you guys do such a good job of like this. These are the very high level important points that we want to drive home. Yep. And that's what we're going to get to today, obviously. Yep. The last question I had in terms of press is like, we're hearing a lot about the diminished influence of the press. Do you agree with that? Do you think that that's true when it comes to the city hall, to the state house here? Well, they certainly read state house news service and that's every legislator gets state house news service. It's a you know subscription news service, but often a lot of local community papers will borrow from the, what the reporters, and you know, because it used to be years ago, you every newspaper had a, a city hall desk or a state house desk, and they were embedded in the state house. You know, I remember when I first started working in the building, I think it was John Heller, he was an older uh, gentleman, and he had they, the news cameras, you know, they had someone based in the state house. And I feel like as they're stretched thin, fewer reporters are actually embedded at the buildings. But they do read State House News Service, and that is often you know, replicated in local community newspapers as those local readerships have they've struggled to kind of keep up. But sure. um, we try to make an effort to make sure that we contact State House News Service because they typically will use those okay. articles. That's good to know. So before we sort of get into the politics side, because I want to walk through that again, high level, just yep. with everyone. I know people know, but just how this stuff works, right? Money and politics and things like that. Can you give me just the high level of like, like, what are the key issues we're looking at right now as, as an industry? As we think about, and I think it's important to kind of frame it up a little bit just in terms of when you think about advocacy, it's important to think of kind of legs of the stool. So as you think about the legs of the stool, it's the press, which we've talked about a little bit. It's your professional staff, your professional lobbying staff. It's the grassroots, which I know we're going to get into a little bit of that. And then 
obviously kind of the fourth leg of the stool is is money, right? And we are not going to buy influence. Massachusetts is an incredibly regulated state. So I often, when I'm talking to members, I think it's important that they understand the distinction that Massachusetts is not Washington, D.C. It's a completely different ballgame. So when we encourage our members to participate in the political process, participate in the political action committee, we're not looking to buy influence. But it is important leg of the stool. Similar to what I said in the beginning, you have to understand that these legislators also have expenses, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are, for example, you're a chairman of an influential committee and you just happen to live in Springfield or the Berkshires, you're going back and forth. You might be having to find a place to stay overnight. You might have a district office. So they have expenses too that they have to maintain. But the one thing that I try to remind our members is with our philosophy, we are nonpartisan in our selection of candidates that we support. NAR has a great catchphrase that I like to use all the time, that we are not Republican or Democrat, we're the realtor party. Mm -hmm. And I always try to remind members that, you know, when you're talking to a legislator, put on your realtor party hat and try to be nonpartisan in how you think about your participation in the process. So I will just say to you, it's not by having a political action committee, we don't we're not going to buy any influence with, you know, a couple hundred dollars that we're donating to candidates. But it is sort of a way for a bunch of realtors to get together and collectively show what their position is. You know, right. it shows collective strength. It's a statement. It's when I will tell you, you know, there's a lot of other organizations that have political action committees. So we are not unique, but there's nothing untoward about it. You're not buying influence. But I do think it's important to have you know, those those small level contributions so that everybody is participating collectively together in the process. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I like that you just kind of set the stage for that <laughs> because I think it's important. I think that's what a lot of people think about. Yeah. You kind of already got into it, but the practical expenses of a legislator, you got into that travel, a little bit into the campaign. Can you dive a little deeper into that for us? Just like you're saying like this is where the money's going and it is that oftentimes it's practical. Yeah, I mean, everything's publicly, you know, the other thing, everything's, you know, we're heavily regulated. I'm heavily regulated as a lobbyist. Uh, the Office of Campaign Political Finance regulates everything that a legislator spends their money on. Every legislator is different in terms of what they have to expend money on. But it's just, you know, I think the parallel for people to understand is similar to like when you have to do, you know, marketing in your local community, they have to do marketing in their local community. If they have a newsletter or there's something really important that they have to convey, they've been able to secure grant funding or there's a new program or constituent services. I think the other thing that people don't always appreciate is I worked as a legislative aide in the state house and a huge amount of my time was just helping people, connecting people with constituent services, people who who don't know how to navigate government necessarily, or they're puzzled by something, or they have something that they're trying to figure out. A huge point of what a legislator does, in addition to committee hearings and votes and the things that you would think of when you think of a legislator, I would say there's a fair amount of almost similar to social work that a, a legislator will do. We're trying to connect people with housing services or SNAP benefits or mm -hmm. navigating government. Right. You know, I think for some people, they feel kind of overwhelmed with, I've got this problem and where do I start? Who do I call? But if they know their legislator in the local community because they see them in the supermarket or whatever, they have a good relationship with them, that's usually the first, sometimes the first call mm -hmm. to navigate kind of the bureaucracy of state government. I know when I was working in the state house, we, you know, we did a number of things. You're doing a number of things in addition to the high level policy stuff, but you're also trying to help people. Sure. It's very important. And, and with that, 
we covered the pack, we covered the money and that that's all important. Can you explain that grassroots alliance, that layer? Yeah. So this is something that we sort of started to develop during the pandemic. We call it the grassroots alliance. The information is available on how to sign up on our website. And essentially it's, it's sort of next level advocacy, right? And you don't have to be an expert, but it's those things that we talked about, right? Are you willing to be a spokesperson in a story? Would you be willing to contact your legislator? Would you be willing to share content on social media? And I know for some people, you know, they may be limited by what what their company allows them to do, and they may have to get permission for certain things. But we all have a personal Facebook page or personal Twitter account. And just reinforcing that message, creating that wall of sound around a legislator so that they are hearing it from multiple angles Mm -hmm. and hearing from the experts in their community. If you are somebody who lives in the district and you can share some content that explains how this is going to impact your business, it says a lot. It means something to somebody. Right. So I think it's important to, like, in terms of people sharing, I know it's sensitive because especially when you have a diverse client base, which most people do, you don't want to offend. And I know that I'm not going to change the world by saying this, but I've been saying in multiple ones of these episodes, it's like, just because we all don't agree on maybe one solution doesn't mean we don't care about the problem. Right. And we have to get back to a place in the world, and I think we are, where someone might be in a different industry than you and you might not understand. I know there was a question about like dental insurance on the last. Mm. It, yep. And I have a family friend that's a dentist, and I remember like checking to see like what was their position on this. I just wanted to understand it. That's right. And even if I had come at with my research to a conclusion that I didn't agree with what he agreed with, I mean, of course, I understand that maybe you're going to have a different opinion because that's your industry. It's going to directly affect you. And I don't even really recall the facts on that. But my point is, it doesn't make me like someone less if they have a different stance. And while you might have clients like that, you might want to think if you have a really good reason to just say, this is something that is important to me, it matters for my family, my livelihood, and I want to help solve this problem, but I think there's a better way. Someone shouldn't not want to work with you because of that. And I think it's important to remember that. If that's the case, you might not really want that person in your sphere in the first place, because we should all be able to respectfully agree or disagree on various topics. And think about it, you know, realtors are the only kind of similar association, like homeowners, individual homeowners don't have an association, right? There's no trade association for homeowners. You're the closest that there is to trying to advocate for your clients and your customers and your consumers and understanding that while we all might support sustainability and energy efficiency, maybe understanding that there's a better way to do this. Thinking about the issue of home energy scoring, right? We all support sustainability and energy efficiency, what I think sometimes people forget is that when you do a home inspection, the home inspector is required to give information to the client who's ordered the home inspection on energy efficiency. So you can call Mass Save and get information. So I think by educating yourself and understanding that, no, we're not against energy efficiency or climate resiliency, but maybe there's another way to do this, or there's a, a side door to this, or there's a law that already exists about this. That if I just educate myself, maybe there's a different way to go about this that might make it better for a homeowner or a consumer who's just getting that first time, you know, first time homebuyer. They're just getting in, settled in. They're getting their kids in school. They're overwhelmed. They have a lot to think about. By educating yourself on different issues, you can say, yeah, I, I support that goal too, but here's another way to do it. Yes. And that's all it really is yep. typically. And I think we could take the emotion out of that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and be, you know, be clinical or pragmatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like to always say that I'm 
pragmatic. I mean, I try to be because it is. It's just right. sometimes you just have to take the emotion out of things and say, of course, there's a problem. There's going to be multiple people impacted by different solutions and there's going to be various people. Right. And it's law of unintended consequences. Yes. Right. Yeah. And so the last kind of leg of the stool is a professional staff. I'd love if you could walk us through how the joint legislative program works directly with the Mass Association of Realtors. So we are very lucky. We are unique nationally. The Greater Boston Real Estate Board is unique nationally. There's nobody like us in the entire country that has the five divisions of the Greater Boston Real Estate Board. So I'll kind of start as a framework there. We are the local chapter of the Realtors, the National Apartment Association, and Bomer International. So the Greater Boston Real Estate Board has three national chapters, and then we've got two kind of local unaffiliated chapters. So when you think about your voice in Washington, D.C., not only do you get the full power of the National Association of Realtors, you're also getting the expertise from the National Apartment Association. You're also getting the expertise from Boma International. And in addition to that, we are partners with the Mass Association of Realtors. So we make a very conscious effort to work collaboratively with the team out there to do a joint legislative program. So when we are typically going to the State House, I will go with uh, Justin Davidson or Johnny Schreiber or Teresa Hatton or one of the, the folks at the Mass Association of Realtors, just to make sure that we're we're being collaborative mm-hmm. in terms of, are we representing the interests of the industry together? And one of the questions that I get quite frequently is, well, how, how did you make a decision on what policy to take? And certainly with the Mass Association of Realtors, they have a public policy statement that's approved by their board of directors. In our case, we have a, a it's a, these decisions are made by a committee of your peers, so it's it's not a decision that the staff, you know, it's not like uh, the Wizard of Oz where they're behind a curtain and they're pulling all the levers. Right. These are all member-based decisions that are driven by the membership at large based on consensus and a lot of time and thought and research that goes into the positions that we take on things. Right. No, it's so important. There's so, so many layers you have to get through. Can you share what's happening in Beacon Hill right now and what we can expect yeah, yeah. It's, in we're the just, year ahead? It's Nicole sense it's the beginning. So we're yeah. just at the, the starting line a little bit. So you had a bunch of legislators that were sworn in in January. It's interesting when they're all sworn in, they, and maybe this has changed a little bit since the pandemic, they, they put them all together in this one room called the bullpen. And they're literally sitting across the table from each other with their aides, like trying to figure, take phone calls and get settled in. So they're past that phase of like, they're all together in the bullpen. The new legislators have been sworn in. They're, they've done committee assignments. So that's starting to filter out a little bit. Last uh, year, last session, so the legislature operates on a two-year cycle. It, I went back and looked at this statistic and even I was surprised by it. They had 10,000 bills that were considered by this, the legislature last year. Wow. Keep in mind, it's over two years, right? So that that will start to accumulate. I looked this morning, and I think it was close to 5,000 or 6,000 at this point. Wow. So those 5,000 bills have to get assigned out to each one of the committees, and then the chairman have to set up um, committee, you know, committee meetings. Obviously, there's so many, so many public hearing rooms right. that they can set up. And in the, in the middle of all that, so they've got their committee assignments. They're out of the bullpen. They're getting assigned with their, you know, they're they're done fighting over office chairs and they're getting their names put on the door. But the governor, we've got a brand new governor, right? And she's settling in too. So she's got her cabinet secretariats and she's starting to get them up to speed. So they're kind of starting at the beginning line with that. They also have to get through the budget. So I made a couple notes here. I thought folks might be interested in the budget process. Governor Healy had just come out with her proposal. It's a a $55.5 billion budget. She's also got a tax package that she just released. So they'll start to have public hearings on her, her version of the budget. So it's, you know, 
the multiple branches of government. So she'll have her, her version of the budget. The House will do its budget. The Senate will do its budget. And then they'll have to reach a compromise. So keep that in mind that everything that sort of she's outlined is subject to change. Mm-hmm. But she pitched her budget and her tax bill trying to hit two themes that were important to her in terms of setting the tone for her administration. One was the state's affordability and the second was economic competitiveness. So that was the overall theme of her budget. And I thought it was interesting when she actually published her budget, the cover of her budget was green because she wanted to put uh, some emphasis on sustainability and environmental concerns. So those were sort of the broad-based things that she had released. But in terms of specific issues that our members might be interested in, in terms of her tax package, there was an increase in the rental deduction. So she has proposed that. There's also several other tax credits that she's put that might be interesting to members. Lead paint remediation, septic, brownfields, and HDIP, which is a development uh, program for gateway cities. As I mentioned, there's probably about 6,000 bills, so it's a little early to have a complete sense of where where some of those issues are going to go. But it's a good opportunity to remind everybody that in June, we'll probably be back to talk about a little more detail of some of the issues we want to talk about. But in June, they have Realtor Day on Beacon Hill, and it's a perfect opportunity to kind of get your feet wet in terms of getting exposure to some of these issues. But mm-hmm. she will have her tax package, and again, it'll go through the process. But that is a, they are, you know, kind of statutorily required to get through that document by July 31st at midnight, and it's the fiscal operating budget. So there's a lot of pressure on them to get that done. Mm-hmm. But it's compromised. So, you know, she will roll out her version, the House will do its version, the Senate will do its version, and, and they will have to reconcile all the programs that are different in those line items. In the past, they have used the budget as a policy vehicle, which is not always great because things sort of get stuck in those outside sections. So we'll have to watch those outside sections. That's something in addition to the 6,000 bills that we read and, and we look at. All those major pieces of legislation, your budget, supplemental budgets, bills like the housing bond bill, they all have, legislators can offer amendments to that. And typically legislators will offer amendments that, you know, maybe they're a piece of legislation, they're standalone legislation, they may try to attach that to the legislation. So it's not unusual to have several hundred amendments that are offered to those those vehicles, and they might get attached to that. So in addition to the 6,000 bills, you have to keep an eye on all the big bills and all the little amendments that are offered. There's a big difference between may and shall when you're writing a piece of legislation. So it's those little tiny details that are in all of those big bills that legislators have to work their way through in terms of what's on their plate. But, you know, obviously we've, we see the headlines, right? MBTA, huge, huge issue for them that they're going to have to deal with. The governor is going to have to, you know, find a new general manager of the MBTA. Healthcare costs are a big issue for them. And then education funding and local aid. So I, the other kind of reminder that I give to our members is that we are, while we are very focused on economic competitiveness and making sure that we can do our business and stay open and create inventory for members, you have to keep in mind that we don't always control the priorities that the legislature works on. They are responding to things like the MBTA and trying to figure, okay, how do we move money around? How do we allocate resources to that? So I, I think it's really exciting that Maura Healy is going to, she's going to do a reorganization, an Article 87 process where she has to do some reorganization in order for her to appoint a cabinet secretariat. So that administrative piece has to happen first before she can name her her housings are. But we have seen, you know, from her and from Lieutenant Governor Driscoll that the issue of housing is certainly top of mind for them in terms of housing production. Sure. But we just have to wait and see what they 
what they're dealing with, what other fires they have to put out in terms of, of issues that they're contending with. That's awesome. No, that's so helpful. And, I, and I'm so glad that we did this because I think it's so important. I know you and I are going to be able to, in the future, I hope, yep. dive into some of these hot button topics that are on the table. And we actually have some really exciting stuff prepared based on things that you've been that's right. working There's on. That's coming on. This was such a good opportunity to lay out like high level. How does this work? What can you be doing? Can you give us the website if you know it for the grassroots or if you don't, we can... You can just go to greb.com and there's a link there, kind of a pull down menu and it feeds you, you know, you have to be a member. It feeds right into our database. And I would just kind of describe it as a menu of options. Mm -hmm. If you're not necessarily comfortable with talking to the press, maybe you would be willing to talk to your legislator or maybe you would be willing to share something on social media. It's just sort of a way to for us as staff to find people who might be willing to do certain things. As we go back to, you know, as I think about, for example, the, the pandemic, right? When we were worried about how we're going to keep our businesses open, you know, how do we make sure that we can function? Mm -hmm. You know, we needed people who could speak from that industry perspective. So at the time, I was spending a fair amount of time just trying to like Okay, who who could we get that might be willing to talk about this? So who has some expertise on this? By sort of signing up on that proactively, it just simplifies things so we can run a list and say, okay, you know, this person lives in this district and they're willing to do this. And oh, great, they've self-identified and they're willing to do it. So you're not burning the clock trying to figure out who could, you know, who has expertise in this issue? Mm -hmm. Who lives in that district? Who knows that particular senator? And obviously the other thing is is certainly making sure that your home address is updated in our database. And that's important. And I, I spent some time explaining to people that often legislators will split districts. They'll Like the city of Boston has multiple people. So we need your full home address in order to look up who your elected official is. So okay. those are the takeaways. We'd sign up for the Grassroots Alliance. Make sure we have your home address. Yeah. Contribute to the Political Action Committee. Participate in Realtor Day and Beacon Hill. Those are all kind of I would say low threshold ways to get involved. Too. So this is a good laid the groundwork. If people want to get in touch with you, I would love to just be able to point them in that course, direction. Yeah. Um, and we can just kind of have this be our jumping off point. So we've laid out the high level stuff, um, everything that a realtor should be looking into, especially obviously a realtor in Massachusetts. And what we'll do from here is have little, we'll d take deeper dives into some of the issues. Yeah. Do you have anything you want to leave us with today? No, just I appreciate the opportunity. And we as staff are here available. You know, the staff at uh, Justin Davidson, Johnny Schreiber, John Dolchewski. We've got, you know, other folks that we work with. And everybody's, we're just here to try to help you and put you in touch with the right resources. But just don't be intimidated and don't be afraid. And just remember, put your realtor party hat on and share your expertise because people want to hear from you. Thank you so much. I think my favorite takeaway out of this was because I do know that people hesitate to share it's not just self-serving. A lot of this is for your clients, yes. right? A lot of this is yeah. us trying to think in the best interest of whatever your client might look like, yeah. right? Because some of it might not be for certain clients, but that's something that I think is a really good point that I want to make sure everybody takes out yeah, of this. Yeah, there's is, no homeowners association. Yes, you are right. it. You are the person who is helping them Leaders, navigate renters, all the right. bureaucracy of state government and understanding like Okay, so if if we add this to a transaction, it's, you know, what is that going to do to your deal? How is that going to blow up your deal? Yeah. Well, I think some things, sometimes a legislator will come up with something that's well-intended, but maybe that legislator's, you know, 30 years old and has never bought a house. Right. They don't understand what it's like to try to, all those multiple steps that you need to go through to make that deal work. And I think sometimes it's not coming from a bad place. I think people mean well. They're asked to file legislation. They're approached by constituents all the time. The other thing to keep in mind is 
you know, just because your legislator supports a particular issue, it doesn't mean that they're not going to, they may not be with you on everything, Yeah. but they might be with you on something. Mm -hmm. And as you start to develop that relationship and educate them on all the implications for your business, it it just helps them. It just helps them because you're not going to, nobody's probably going to be with you 100% of the time, but it's having that, that big picture framework of understanding that, you know, if I develop this relationship with this, this person and they see me as a, a as a fair, honest broker in the community who's who's willing to, you know, sit and listen, mm-hmm. that's all you, you know, that's all that you need. For sure. Awesome. So. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. If anyone has any questions at all for Trish, I'm happy to put you in touch. You can email me at Nicole at Thank, thank you, you so much.